an obscure town in the Middle East, a fermenting political situation, a people under occupation by the mighty Roman Empire, the surrounding desert full of preachers, magic workers, soothsayers, hundreds of prophecies every month about the end of the world being imminent. It's into this ferment a boy was born to a young unmarried Jewish woman. His birth was scandalous, and after childhood obscurity, he grew up to be a traveling preacher and healer in what is now northern Israel and the West Bank. He never wrote any tracts or books. He had no coherent philosophy. He did not build any buildings. He didn't found a school or a movement or a political party. He wasn't ordained. He held no positions of responsibility or influence in the institutions of his day. He refused to fight the occupying forces despite much persuasion and was in the end executed as a criminal. His was a political death as he was crucified. A religious death would have meant he would have been stoned. Outside the city wall of Jerusalem, largely it seems because he was thought to be a threat to the powerful religious elite of his day and weak political government as he'd roused the adulation of the crowd. And yet this unmarried Jewish carpenter's influence is so great that centuries later we're in a huge and imposing building built in his name to the glory of God. Over two billion people around the world, almost a third of the entire population of the earth, call themselves followers of his. And the name Jesus, just in these last few weeks, has been on the lips of protesters, bankers, journalists, and is once again the stuff of conversations in the pub, as the world economy rocks on its axis and Europe's currency is in crisis. For once... For once, this is a more accurate reflection of the spirit of Jesus of Nazareth, who said a lot more about money than he did about sex. We're here tonight to talk about Jesus of Nazareth, the character we find in the pages of the Gospels. As soon as we start to say, Jesus Christ, we're already doing theology. Christ, as you will know, is a Greek word meaning anointed Messiah. So when we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, we're talking about the historical figure we find in the pages of the Gospels. And the first thing and the last thing that I want to say about Jesus this evening is that he as a personality is almost completely elusive. Because he left no writings, all we know about him is written by people who are trying to persuade us of something. Matthew is writing for a Jewish audience. Mark, the oldest and shortest gospel, doesn't even include the resurrection. Luke is a Gentile friend of Paul's, and John is the most philosophically advanced and arguably, along with Matthew's, the most fiercely critical of the Judaism Jesus was attempting to reform. Paul wrote letters to fledgling communities of followers of Jesus of Nazareth, although he never met him and changed the emphasis of his recorded teaching. Jesus speaks constantly about the Basileia, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul, in all his writings, mentions it only once. How can we get to Jesus of Nazareth? What was his personality like? Was he funny? Was he kind or impatient? He was obviously charismatic. Was he a revolutionary? 
Why did he refuse so many times for people to claim him as the Messiah? As later, that's exactly what happened to him. Why did he tell people not to mention to anyone the things that he was saying and doing? What on earth was he trying to communicate to the situation of his day? There is no existing set of Aramaic sayings. All we have is a Greek translation of what Jesus might have said and done. The oral tradition, of course, at that time was extremely reliable. We needn't feel anxious about it. But there is very little that is absolutely verifiable. It's really important in any discussion about Jesus of Nazareth to acknowledge with deep humility that certainty is beyond our reach. It is simply not possible to know. But it's also important to say that just because there's no proof, that doesn't make the whole set of sayings or actions invalid or inauthentic. So what do we do in the face of this inaccessibility of Jesus of Nazareth? Because people could see the power that Jesus exerted over contemporary society, the tradition of making Jesus in our own image becomes a well-tried and tested one and has been happening for centuries. Giza Vermesh, the greatest living scholar on Jesus, has spent his academic life studying the Gospels and has come up with a probable list of authentic sayings based on the sentence structure, noting the Aramaic rhythms behind the Greek text. For example, I will make you fishers of people, an unusual and vivid construction, almost certainly Jesus. The phrase, the good news of the kingdom of God, a very characteristic and often repeated phrase, almost certainly from Jesus himself. Your faith has made you well, quoted a couple of times by Luke and Matthew to women and to a man born blind. The commands Jesus gives to demons and to people when he's touching them, for example, Jairus's daughter, the leader of the synagogue, Talitha kum, a genuine Galilean Aramaic saying, little girl, get up. What is there that Giza Vermesh is almost sure is editorial and not a happening in time and space? This is difficult for Christians. The stilling of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Palm Sunday, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the saying that the church has relied on. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church. Of course Jesus was political, and anyone who says religion and politics doesn't mix has never read the Gospels. But claiming him for one political ideology or another is, I want to argue, impossible, much as anyone would like to. It's a reductionist strategy and is an attempt to harness the influence of the reputation of Jesus for one side or another. We'll have all heard arguments on what's called the political right or the left. In the parable Jesus told of the Good Samaritan, the right argue that a key factor was that the Samaritan had enough money with him to pay for the night's lodging. They will also argue that the parable of the talents is an argument for economic growth and the power of the individual. I've heard arguments on the left in favor of the NHS, 
that the healing of the unnamed woman with hemorrhages while Jesus was on his way to see the leader of the synagogue is evidence that Jesus exemplifies healing free for all, not focused on the great and the good. As soon as you want to claim Jesus, and miraculously somehow he agrees with everything you think, Jesus will elude you. There are many instances in the Gospels where everyone's looking for Jesus. They can't find him. He's been up the mountain praying all night. Or he's had to get into a boat because the crush on the shore is so great. The crowd try to throw him over a cliff at Nazareth, but he escapes. Another time, they try and grab him and make him king, and he runs away into the hills. It's in his own time and at his own instigation that he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he goes there, knowing what is waiting for him there. There's an urgency about him where he seemingly talks constantly about the kingdom of God being near, upon, within you. He has a poetic spirit, evidence in his metaphors and stories. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. A millstone around your neck, a camel and the eye of a needle, salt without savour, let the dead bury their dead, love your enemies. Jesus is excoriating about self-righteousness. Whenever you think you're right, whenever you think you have the right interpretation of Christianity and all the others are wrong, that's when Jesus is at his most critical and verbally violent. Jesus drove the money changers from the temple. Why? Because they were exploiting the poor by changing money from one currency to another to pay the temple tax. The quotation he uses of a den of thieves, quoting Hebrew scripture, implies dishonest commercialism. Why was money being changed anyway? To pay a temple tax in Jewish currency, not Roman. Also insisting on unblemished animals for sacrifices, hence the pigeon sellers that he overturns the tables of. Again, exploiting the poor. If a woman couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice after she'd given birth then a pigeon was accepted. So the pigeon sellers were directly targeting those who were poor. But again, Jesus will be elusive. I would love to claim him as a proto-feminist. His treatment of women was radical and extraordinary and freeing for women. But he also was a man of his time. And this has been a godsend for a predominantly male establishment which has wanted to exclude women from positions of power for centuries. I find a radical in Jesus, yes, but a radical in the original sense of the word. One who has deep, deep roots in the life of God, who is urgently trying to communicate by actions and words what God is like, predominantly what God is like, And also, perhaps more challengingly, what it could be like to be human. I find someone who lived a life of radical compassion and forgiveness, passionate commitment to everyone who was suffering, those in power and those without power, and a determination to be a loving, healing presence in the world as it is. Jesus of Nazareth wasn't original in much of what he said. He quoted a very common saying at the time, and one that is shared by many religions, the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
Treat others as you would like to be treated. It's an ethic of empathy, attempting to walk in another's shoes, which will make us live differently. Jesus quoted this. It's not original to him. And he endorsed it, but he also took it further. Jesus said, not so much do to others as you would have them do to you, but do to others as I have done to you. And he said this right before he washed his disciples' feet and broke bread and shared wine. Followers of Jesus of Nazareth are not known by their recitation of the creed or by the way they dress. They're not known by their doctrinal purity or their eloquent politics. Followers of Jesus of Nazareth are known by the love they have for God and for their neighbor. Imitating Jesus of Nazareth would mean that the life of an agrarian unmarried male carpenter is the icon of what human life should be like. This is clearly nonsense. It's the meaning of Jesus' life that's so challenging for everyone who tries to live in the world as it is. It's a way of life that is deeply radical in that it's rooted in the nature of God in whose image human beings are made. It's a way of life that is constantly trying to find ways to wash one another's feet, however we can, and whoever's feet they are. Thank you.